morning. It is so good to be with you this morning. Before we start in on the message this morning, a couple things. I just want to personally, as the pastor of this church, thank everyone who showed up yesterday and decorated the church. Thank you so very much. I appreciate Marty heading it up, and she was telling me had plenty of help yesterday. Plenty of men showed up, which we needed. She said there were families that showed up, children. That's awesome. I just so appreciate all of you making the church look beautiful for the holiday season. And uh, as Dave was mentioning in his uh, announcements about uh, Mexicali, um, you know, last week we talked in Joshua 1 about how God not only wants to move all of us individually forward with him, but he wants to move us as a community of believers forward with him. And as we do that, there's going to be more that he has for us. Well, today we're going to be talking about that in the message, and then we're also going to specifically be talking about that at the end of the service. We have, you all are very special guests here today of the Lord, but we have a very special guest with us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts with us today. And what we're going to be sharing with you is about how our church can begin to partner in making an impact in the country of Japan. You know, we, we partner in a sense with the Olacheas down in Mexico. Uh, we support Jenna Pearson, a local gal here, uh, who works with athletes in the uh, local area. And then obviously Josh and Anishka is over in the Czech Republic. And now we're even going to move from the Czech Republic all the way into Asia, into Japan, and how we can begin to partner uh, seeing that happen. And we'll be talking to you about that. But as we shared last week in Joshua chapter 1, God is ready to do more with his people. That was the message that he gave the people through Joshua. He said, look, Moses is now dead, but my plan and my will for my people is cross-generational. I bury my workers, but my work never ceases. It goes on through the generation. We're always part of something bigger than ourselves. We are always simply a link in the chain. There are those before us, and there will be those who come after us. Our job is just to carry on with the work and be part of what God is doing. So God in Joshua chapter 1 wanted his people to get ready to move, to get ready for the more that he had for them. And we talked about that last week. Are we ready? God is ready. And I shared last week that as the pastor of the church, I believe God is ready to do more with us and to give us more. The question is, are we ready to go with God into the more that he has with us? In the book of Joshua, it is illustrated for us with the promised land. They had wandered around in unbelief for 40 years, and now God said, I got this land for you. It's a gift. It's a gift. I want to give it to you, but you've got to be willing to go after it, right? You've got to be willing to do your part. I'm not just going to hand it over to you because there's already people in that land. And you've got to be willing under my leadership and direction to drive them out and to take control of that land and to possess all that I have for you. Now we come to Joshua chapter 2, a chapter that really zeroes in on the story of one woman, 
We're going to talk a lot about her today because she is an illustration of the inclusive nature of God's grace. We've sung about God's grace today. Let me share this about God's grace, because as Christians even, we talk a lot about grace, but let's make sure we understand what it is in a very practical sense. First of all, God's grace is his welcome mat, if you will, to all people. God is saying, look, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no human being who's ever been alive who merits or who deserves or who can earn favor with God. He's a holy God. He's perfect. He's sinless. The only way we can approach God and have a relationship with God and have communion with God and fellowship with God is because God puts out his grace welcome mat and basically says, by my grace, all of you are welcome and you all can come if you want to. Okay? That's part of it. The other part of it is that God's grace is also his supernatural enablement. Supernatural enablement. Help that he gives when we are willing to humble ourselves and again, follow the Lord and, and, and do what he says. God will then give us supernatural help and enablement for us to be able to achieve and accomplish all that God has for us because what God has planned for us as a group, the same as he does for individuals, it's, it's always daunting. It's always overwhelming. It's always more than you and I could imagine we could ever achieve on our own, which is exactly where God wants us. Because God doesn't want us to achieve or accomplish anything on our own, in our own power and strength. He wants us to do it in partnership with him. That's what we talked about last week. So then we come to Joshua chapter 2. And I want you to begin to see, though, how Joshua is approaching all of this. God has given him the responsibility of leading the people into this foreign land where there's already inhabitants that he needs to drive out. Well, Joshua is a military leader. He was not like Moses, who was more of the prophet and priest, more of the, the spiritual leader. He was always, his role within Israel was the military leader. So he's approaching this logically from a military standpoint. So it says in Joshua chapter 2, one of the practical things that he can do is he can send a couple spies into the land, especially going to Jericho, because Jericho was going to be the most formidable city that they were going to have to overcome and conquer. It was going to be that first sort of obstacle in their way of what God had for them. So that's a good reminder for us. Just because God is leading us as a people and leading us individually to more doesn't mean we're not going to face obstacles. Oh, yes, we are. We're going to face obstacles. We're going to face challenges. So Joshua sends these two spies into the land, especially to check out Jericho. He wanted them to report back maybe what are their fortifications? What are their defenses? What do they have planned? What are their mindset? Where, where are they at? And that's good because what we're going to learn here, and this is true in our life, is that battles in our life are as much psychological as they are physical. A lot of it has to do with our mind and our thinking and our mindset and our perspective. That's where the battles really happen, you see. What's going on in our heads? And so he was going to find out not only the physical things that the people of Jericho maybe had ready for them, 
But where were they at mentally? Where were they at psychologically? And one of the things then God in his grace was going to do was that those spies were going to be able to bring back a, a report that, you know what? The people of Jericho are already afraid. It's like they're already defeated even before we get there. And I understand that. When I played sports many, many years ago, especially on our high school football team that seemed to win the state championship about every other year, there were teams that would come into our stadium and they would be defeated before they ever walked out on the field. Simply because of the atmosphere, you know, we weren't Texas, <laughs> we weren't Florida, but as a Western Maryland little town, we would get 15,000 people to show up at a high school football game. And we would have the big schools come up from the Washington, Baltimore area, and they would be lucky if they had 100 people show up at a game. So they were already intimidated by the stadium, by the crowd, and by the past record of the team that they were playing. Already defeated, mentally, before they ever went out and played a game. You and I understand that. It all starts with the mind. So Joshua sends these two spies into the land. And they are led out of all the houses, out of all the places they could go. They are led to the house of a woman named Rahab. And we are very clearly told she is a prostitute. So think about this. She's a Gentile, strike number one. She's a woman, strike number two. And she's a prostitute. Strike number three, right? No, not with God. There's not too many strikes against us that God's grace cannot overcome. See, God in his grace is all about bringing all of us who are far away near. Those who are outside, he wants to bring inside. God is giving us this story of Rahab to show us that in his grace, there is no one that should feel that they are too far from God for God to bring close to him. There's not anything that you and I have done that God in his grace, through the blood of Jesus Christ, cannot forgive and bring near. That's one of the main things that God wants to get across here. That's why he tells us the story of Rahab, this Gentile woman prostitute. And those spies are led to her house because God in his grace is going to save and rescue and deliver her and her family from the eventual destruction of Jericho, which also reminds us God cares about one person, one individual, and her family, and not just somebody who's the king. No, a nobody, even in her society, somebody that would have been discarded, somebody that would have been an outsider, somebody that nobody else maybe cared about, somebody that was used and abused all her life, and yet God saw her, and God cared about her, and God was willing to save her if she simply turned to him and, and accepted his offer of grace. So these spies come to the house of Rahab. And while they're there, the king of Jericho gets word that the spies have come and somehow are connected to Rahab, which reminds us, we don't know how he got word of that. 
We don't know, obviously, if he had spies everywhere listening and watching, because they were certainly paranoid at this point, sitting there in the city of Jericho, knowing that the people of God were coming at them. We don't know, but it's a good reminder to us, the enemy has his ways too, and the enemy has his people too, and they're all over the place. And so somehow the king of Jericho gets word that these spies have come, these Israeli spies have come, and somehow Rahab's hiding them. So he sends people to her and says, hey, turn them over. We, we know that you've got these spies. And she says, basically, I don't know what you're talking about. Says, uh, the men that you think were, they were just my customers. And uh, they were here, but they're not here anymore and all of that. And then we learn that she hid them up on her roof underneath some flax. Now, down through the years, even from the first time I heard this story, there were many people that made a big deal about her lying, you know, because the Bible obviously says we should never lie, right? But let's give a different perspective maybe to this. First of all, God never condemns her for that. In fact, in the New Testament, twice when she's mentioned, it talks about her being commended for her faith to hide the spies. And in fact, that was the reason why she was delivered uh, from the destruction of Jericho because of what she did with the spies. I think the difference here is that obviously it's not ever right for us to lie but in this context, let's not forget, this was war. This was wartime. And I think in some ways, especially those of you that have been in our military and fought for our country, you know that in a sense, things are different in wartime. I mean, in a sense, I would just compare this to soldiers wearing camouflage. We don't have problems with soldiers wearing camouflage, and yet in a sense, by them wearing that, they're being deceitful, right? But it's war, you see. And there's things that's acceptable in wartime that may be not acceptable any other time. And I personally don't think that what she did at that time was wrong. I think about people like Anne Frank that many of you know and have read about in your life. I know for me, if, if I was in a situation where I was hiding my family in my house and and soldiers came into the house and said, you know, tell us where your family is, and I didn't. And so I think that she was simply doing, because here's the thing, she at that point was committing high treason at a time of war. She was basically saying no to the allegiance of her old king and, and giving allegiance to her new king, the king of the Jews, if you will, God, the true God. If she would have been found out at that point what she did with those spies, her and her entire family would have been slaughtered by the king of Jericho. So she hides the spies. We move on. But here's what I want us to see today as well. She says to them, when she goes back up to the roof and has a short conversation before they all turn in for the night. She says, I know that your God is handing over this land that we now live on to you. I know that. She acknowledges this, you see. 
She acknowledges God, their God. And then she says this, twice in verse, I think, 10 and 11, she says, for we have heard about what God has done. Now, that's important in our story because that reminds us we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And the Bible teaches us that faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by what, Romans 10, 17? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's why in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those who will believe. You see, God doesn't work through sight as much as he does through hearing. God wants his people not to walk by sight, not to have to see things in order to believe. He wants us to, be, to work through hearing things and believe him and what he said and what he's done without seeing it. And that's exactly what Rahab is saying here. She says, I didn't need to see what God did. Somebody told us what was happening. And we believe God birthed faith in us, even here in Jericho, as pagans through what we heard. Now, obviously, there were many people in Jericho that didn't believe. And when they received that revelation, they didn't believe. But there were some who did. And I think it's important that we say that she used the word we have heard. And I think that's why her and her family was all rescued and delivered and saved out of Jericho. Because I think that once some of them heard that many in her family became believers. Let's not forget a Gentile woman prostitute. And yet God was going to save her. And here's why. In verse 11, she makes a declaration of faith. Joshua 2.11, she says, your God is the God in heaven and the God on earth. Basically, she's saying, I believe in your God. I believe in Jehovah. I believe in Yahweh. He is God. Not all my gods that I've grown up with in Jericho. No, your God is God, and he's now my God. That is so important. Again, that reminds us that nobody is beyond the grace of God. Anyone, once God reveals himself to us and gives us light, all have the opportunity to respond to him. And so she goes to the spies and she says, now that I have shown allegiance or favor or grace to you by hiding you, Will you, when you come back to destroy this city and conquer it, will you show favor and grace to me and my family and spare us from what's about to happen? And they said, here's the deal. If you don't tell anybody what we're up to and we can get out of here and get back to Joshua and tell him what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've experienced, we will make sure, we pledge ourselves, the two spies said, we pledge ourselves to make sure that you and your family are spared. So notice, that means that the two of them are going to have to come back with the invading force and make sure that they are right there when the city is taken down because 
it's going to be their responsibility to make sure that Rahab and her family are saved. But they do say, if you start blabbing about what we've been up to and what's going on, then we are not going to be responsible for your safety. And she says, I can agree to that. I'm, I'm okay with that. And then the Bible tells us that they are told by her to go out and just hang outside here for a little while, let things settle down or simmer down, and then you'll have a chance in a couple days to go back over to the river and get back to Joshua and report what you've experienced here. Before we move on in the story, this is something that we need to talk about for a few minutes. In the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, there is a verse that says this, that as God begins to move upon his people and pour out his grace, and then God's people begin to receive his grace, it is then our responsibility as we move forward in our lives, both individually and as a group, that then we become grace sowers or grace spreaders so that others may be included in what God is doing. I want you to see that that very principle is happening here in the book of Joshua. God's people have been recipients of his grace. And these two spies who are representing Joshua, they get that. We have received the grace of God. We don't deserve what we're about to get. We don't deserve what we've already received from God. And so we understand the grace of God. And because we have received it, we realize that as God moves us forward, that God wants us to spread that grace and sow his grace to others so that more and more and more people can be included in what God is doing. So there's this beautiful then picture of that in Joshua 2 where the people of God are going to move into the land, but they're not just going in thinking about themselves. They're going in with the mindset of, we have been given grace by God, and we want to make sure that as we move forward, that we spread his grace and sow his grace to others so that anyone who's willing to come and be a part of us and be a part of what God's doing, they are welcome here because God welcomed us one day and we didn't deserve it. Now, I say all that because that's what God wants us to be about in our lives. God always wants us who have received his grace to be conscious and intentional about being grace sowers and grace spreaders so that more and more people can be included into the family of God and what God is doing. I think that's why it's so beautiful that, that Kimmy's here today, and we're going to talk about spreading into Japan because I believe one day that you and I, as part of the Oasis Church, will meet some people from Japan who came to know the Lord through our partnering with Kimmy. You see, that's the beauty. And, and God wants us to be like that not only as a church. God wants us to be like that individually so that more and more are included. That, that's Rahab. That's her family. Those who were outside now have been brought inside. Those who didn't think they had anywhere to belong, oh, they found a place to belong. It's with the people of God. That's the way it should always be. 
Because there are many people today who feel like I have nowhere to belong. I have nobody to belong to. I, I can't identify with anybody, you know. Well, guess what? With God, there's always a place to be. You can always feel welcome here. Hopefully, you will always feel loved here. Because those of us who have received God's grace realize that our standing and our place and our position with God is not because we deserved it. It's simply because we accepted the grace of God and God made a place for us at his king's table. And God will make a place for anybody at his table if you and I will simply receive his grace. And then once we've received it, we begin to spread his grace and sow his grace to all around us. I think if my memory serves me correctly, the verse that I'm referencing is 2 Corinthians 4.15. You can tell me if I'm wrong after the service or right if I got it right. So let's get back to the story. She says, well, before you leave, I need something to hold on to in a sense. I need some assurance. I've given you all some assurance and confirmation that God is working. <laughs> but I need some assurance. I need some confirmation. Will you give it to me? And the spy said, yeah. You tie a red rope outside of your house. And the Bible tells us there, Joshua 2, that her house sat right on the wall. You, you tie a red rope outside your house so that when we as the invading force come into Jericho, we'll be able to identify which house is yours and you and your family, all who are in there in that house will be spared. Now, if, if you all aren't in there, we can't, we're not responsible. But if you're willing to all be huddled in that house, we'll make sure that that house is spared. And the Bible says she immediately, they weren't going to probably be back for maybe days or even weeks, says she immediately put that rope there. Why is that significant? Because it was a mark of identification. See, just like baptism is for us and so many other things, even like, guess what? You all showing up here today, you in a sense are identifying yourself with us because there's all kinds of people in our neighborhood who watches who comes here. That's what she was doing. She was basically saying, I'm confessing with my mouth. I'm willing to identify myself with them rather than with the king of Jericho and the people of Jericho. I'm making a mark. I'm willing to be identified. And God says, that's what I need to see in the people who receive my grace. My grace is free. But then you and I need to be willing to identify ourselves as God followers and say, I'm not ashamed that I am a follower of God. And then to be willing to be identified with God's people. That's important too. Instead of being out there on our own. God is looking still for that same attitude today. Those who are willing to be identified unashamedly with him and those who are willing to be unashamedly identified with his people. 
so that then he can take this group of people or any group of people or any local church and he can begin to move us forward with him for the more that he has for us. And as he pours out his grace in our lives, as he did here with Joshua and the people of Israel at this point, he wants us, as we move forward with him, to spread the grace and to sow his grace so that when we come in contact with maybe a Rahab or anyone else in our life who's looking to belong, who's looking for love, who's looking for acceptance, Who's, who's looking for hope and all of those things that you and I can be that link in the chain that maybe reveals that to them. And then they can be included in what God's doing too. And we can bring more and more people in. That's why the New Testament church in the book of Acts was so dynamic and was turning the world upside down because that group of people was receiving the grace of God, but they were also spreading the grace of God. And the Bible says they were turning the world upside down. And every day God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Every day. Because they were out there just sowing and spreading the grace of God. Not judgment, not condemnation. They were spreading grace you see. And so more and more people were coming to know the Lord. So they left, and they returned, and I'm sure Joshua, like any great military leader, was just waiting with bated breath for probably, you know, a few days, wonder what report they're going to bring back. And very interestingly, they didn't really tell Joshua a lot about the fortifications and the size of Jericho and all of that and the obstacles in the way, what they said was, oh yeah, surely God is handing this place over to us because he says the people are melting. That, literally, when you read Joshua chapter 2 and, and Rahab talks about how fearful they were and terrified they are because they heard about the things that God had done through his people earlier on and all of those things, literally in the Hebrew, the word means to melt. The people of Jericho, for the most part, were melting even before the people of God got there. Well, again, battles are primarily psychological, not physical. So you can imagine how this encouraged, how this confirmed, how this assured Joshua, and especially the military leadership of Israel. It's like the people in Jericho are already defeated before we even get there because they're already living in fear. They, they've already, in a sense, given up. They've had the wind already knocked out of them, you see. Here's something else we learn in this really great chapter. And that is when God is in something, he works on all sides of it. Did you notice that? See, God said, I need you to do your part as my people. I'm not just going to hand it to you. But if you partner with me, I'm going to make sure that the people that you need to remove from the land so that you can be there aren't going to be much of an issue for you if you just trust me. See, so often in life, and this is why this is important and practical for us, so often we have these obstacles in our way. We have these challenges. We have these Jerichos. 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about crossing the Jordan. We have these, in, what we call, insurmountable obstacles. God, I know you have more for me and you want to move me forward, but there's this big thing in the way. Or maybe there's this person in the way. Or there, there's something that's impeding me. And, and God is saying, if you trust me and you believe in me, you've got to understand something. If I'm telling you to move in that direction and that's the way I want you to go and that's the path I want you to take, then I'm going to make sure that I'm also over here ahead of you, working over here to make sure that when you trust me and you keep walking with me and you get there, that that won't be as big a deal as you are making it up in your minds right now because I'll be the one to defeat that enemy. All you have to do is trust me to go in that direction because I'm already working on that end as well. I'm not just working with you as my people. I'm also working on those things and those people that are standing in your way. I work on both ends because I'm God. And God's the only one that can work on all sides. Can I say that that's how you and I know as the people of God too, when God is in something even in our lives? God won't just work on us. God will work on the other side as well. God will make sure that every side is taken care of in whatever he's doing, because he's the only one that can do that. All he's saying to us is, those of us who have received his grace, as we move forward, let's spread that grace and sow that grace so that more and more people can be included. And by the way, here's the great ending, if you will, to this story. Rahab. Think about it. A Gentile woman prostitute. And guess what? Because of God's grace, she's not only brought into the family of God. Do you know who Rahab was? She was the great-great-grandmother of King David. The greatest king who ever, you know, Israel ever had. She was the great-great-grandmother of King David, which also then means, and Matthew points this out in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, she was also in the line of Jesus. Think about it. She was in the line of the Messiah. She was part of Jesus' ancestry and lineage. That's grace. And I say all that to say for any of you today or any of you who are watching me today, if you think somehow in your head, that's where the battle is, that you're too far away from God or that God could never accept you or bring you near, you've done this or you've done that and all of that, you've got to get rid of that thinking. God is revealing himself to you today. And he's saying, my grace is sufficient. And my grace can bring anybody who's outside, inside. My grace can bring anybody who's far, near. That's my grace. And I'm offering my grace to all of you today, God's saying. Will you receive my grace? And I don't know what you need God's grace for right now in your life. I don't know. It could be a myriad of things because God's grace covers a myriad of things. But here's the deal. Whatever we need God's grace for, it's there for us if we'll trust. And then once we receive God's grace, God wants us to spread that grace and sow that grace to others so that more and more people can be included. Will you open yourself up 
to the grace of God today. Would you stand with me and let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the wonderful story of Rahab, the Gentile prostitute who lived in Jericho. And yet, Lord, you loved her just like you love each and every one of us. You had a plan and purpose for her life. And with you, God, it's not about our past. Our past can be forgiven and put under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's about trusting right now, God, that you're enough for us and that your grace is enough for us. And that, Lord, if we will just trust you, we can receive that grace and be welcomed into you and into your family, God. And, Lord, you, you have a wonderful plan and purpose for each and every one of us, just like you did Rahab. But, Lord, also we have the responsibility once we've received that grace to make sure that we spread it and sow it wherever we go so that more and more people can be included in what you're doing, God. I pray today that all of us who are hearing this today, so that means not just those who are present here in this auditorium, but those who are hearing over live stream today and maybe eventually hearing this on podcast later in the week or the month or the year, that God, as we hear, we respond to that revelation and we believe it and we trust in it and we rest in it and we follow it, God, as we follow you. Would you work on us, Lord, and do a work in us that only you can do? Because, God, your grace, like nothing else, is transformational. It will change us from the inside out and make the biggest difference in our lives. May we be known here at the Oasis as a people of grace, a people who always have your welcome mat out to others who want to be included in what's going on here, a people who always are loving to those who come in those doors, because, Lord, that is reflective of you and how you respond to us. God, go with us through this time as we worship you through song and as we respond to the revelation we've been given. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>